morning. If you want to turn to Titus. Before we read, just kind of context, we're getting close here to the end of Titus and just have highlighted that in this letter, uh, Paul is writing to Titus in, to appoint elders in Crete and get the churches in order and new churches, it seems like, converted from this really bad situation where Crete is notoriously wicked, even to this day, we say Cretans in English, and so it's come that far. And here they are, uh, heard about Jesus Christ, a carpenter who is from the Middle East, who said he was God, and died on the cross and rose again, and it transformed their life. And we don't know why the letter shows short. It simply could have been that he didn't have very much paper. Where we think of paper today as kind of, you can, anybody can have paper. You can remember in Acts when, or actually, um, actually I forget if it was in Acts, but Paul asked to send the, if they'd send him the papers. <laughs> and so, um, we don't know exactly why it's so short, but it's a very concise book where he goes over who God is, what the gospel is, and how it applies to our life in chapter 1, 2, and 3. And here we are in chapter 3 in this longest section on the gospel and trying to highlight different aspects of the gospel. We started out just talking about... Um, well, let's read here and then we'll recap this particular section. I'll kind of go verse by verse. Let's start in chapter 3, verse 4. So here's his, this longest section on the gospel out of this little book here. Titus 3, 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, God our Savior appeared, he saved us. So stop right there. We talked about how the gospel isn't just a get out of hell card. right? It's not just something that we get. That we're, oh, I'm glad I get these benefits. It's a person. Jesus. When the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he saved us. It's describing Jesus as the goodness and loving kindness of God that appeared to us. The good news of the gospel is definitely that our sins are forgiven, but more than that, it's that we can know a person, that we were alienated from God, and now we can know God and be right with God and be reconciled to God through the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's where we started, and then verse 5, and he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. I'll pause right there, kind of in the middle of the verse. We talked about justification. That we're saved, not by our own works, but we're justified by faith in Jesus, apart from anything we've done. That that's the way we can be right with God. Not by works, not by earning it. We can't clean ourselves up. We don't come to God once we got our act together. We come to God when we're at our lowest. When we're, at our, when, when we're totally stuck in our sin and we can't get ourselves out. We can't wash ourselves clean. We run to Jesus. And he saves us. We don't save ourselves. Picking up there, and so we went, actually spent a couple weeks on that, uh, two weeks on justification. And then in the middle there of verse 5, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And then that's what we started talking about last time is 
the Spirit, the work of the Spirit is an essential part of the gospel that sometimes gets, you know, overlooked. I gave an example kind of of myself in in a negative way of the verse that I really like about the gospel from Peter where he says, um, I can't remember the reference off the top of my head. Uh, I think it's 1 Peter 3. Um, but anyways, he's, uh, Peter says that, um, all right, I'm blanking now. Anyways, basically he talks about how we're reconciled to God. Um, Christ died once for sins, there it comes. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And I, a lot of times, would quote that verse and leave it right there. And leave out all the parts about the resurrection um, and really the work of the Spirit being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. I would always leave that part off, because in my mind it's like, well, the gospel's that first part. But the reality is it's not true. that's not all the gospel. There's, there's a second piece, that the spirit comes and he gives us new life the same way he did to Jesus when he rose from the dead. And so we don't want to just focus on how the gospel is Christ died for our sins on the cross, which is part of the gospel, but also he rose again, and in the same way we get new life through the spirit. And so we talked about that um, last week. And then we're going to kind of continue on here uh, this week, this second section where he's continuing to talk about the Spirit in verse 6. So let's pick up there. That was all just recap. (laughs) Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, so we're going to focus on this second section. We talked about regeneration and renewal um, last time, and now we're going to talk about, really focus in on verse 6 and 7. Whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior. So we're just really going to take that verse and the next verse, but the first one word by word. So starting with just this word, whom, kind of interesting, just word whom. It's kind of a significant word here. The Spirit, God's Spirit, is a person, right? We're Trinitarians. We believe that God, the Father, sent the Son who died on the cross for our sins and who applies that work to our heart through the Spirit. We, we've we talked about that last time and read some of the verses where it actually justification is applied by the Spirit. The blood that, that washes us clean, that's really the work of the Spirit in our lives. And the whom there shows um, that it's a Spirit. And that's actually all throughout the New Testament. There's quite a few other verses there, but the Spirit is God himself. God himself comes to dwell with us. That's a really amazing thought, that God himself dwells in believers. A person, God, the third person of the Trinity. Just a couple of verses, just in case, um, if somebody ever asks you, well, why is the Spirit God? How do you know the Spirit isn't just a force or God's working among us? How do you know the Spirit is as a person? Um, I'll give you a couple of verses here. In Acts 20, this is what it says in Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The Holy Spirit's working there. We see the Holy Spirit's working. Um, 
the, the Holy Spirit is setting people apart. Um, the Holy Spirit made some overseers. There's another good section in Acts 5 where Peter, you remember Ananias and Sapphira lied and then they didn't bring all the money. They, they could have given part of the money, but instead they lied and gave all the money. Um, and there's some significant little words here about the Spirit. Again, that the Spirit's a person. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was it sold, after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So he says specifically that they lied to the Holy Spirit, and he says, You have not lied to man, but to God. Very clear there, the Holy Spirit is God, God himself. You know, if that's not enough, there's a lot of ways that the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. It makes it really clear that it's God, um, that he's God. Uh, the Holy Spirit is called a lot of different things. The Spirit of Christ is, is one of them. Um, but the Spirit is God, God with us. Just the way Jesus was when he was here on earth. Um, and even more so, um, though he's not in the flesh. So, this first word, whom, one thing to note, the Holy Spirit is a person. Um, we kind of generally think, there's a quote from Gordon Fee, he wrote this big book on the Spirit, it's like 1,100 pages or something, he just, he goes through all the verses in Paul, where Paul talks about the Spirit, it's called God's Empowering Presence, Holy Spirit in the Letters of Paul, but anyways, he has a really great quote about the Spirit, he says, in our minds, we think about the Spirit as kind of a gray, oblong blur, that's the way he describes it. It's like, yeah, I know the, know something about the Spirit, but we don't have a clear picture in our mind of the Spirit. One is because the Spirit is invisible. But when we think about the Spirit, we don't want to think about a gray oblong blur. We want to think about the Spirit of Christ, God, a person, being in us and with us. And it's a it's a different picture. And of all the people of the Trinity... The Father, we kind of have something, you know, it's like, oh, we have, we all have a Father, whether we knew Him or didn't. We have kind of a picture of, of what a Father is supposed to be like, and it's like, yeah, I kind of know what a Father is. And then the Son, it's like, either you have kids or you are a son of somebody. It's like, okay, I can kind of get my mind around that. And then we have the Spirit, and there's not as clear a, a correlation. It's not like the father, the son, and the grandson. It's the father, the son, and then something kind of totally outside that category, spirit. And so I think that's part of the reason, but when we hear Holy Spirit, we really need to think God himself dwelling among us. It's, well, it affects how we treat one another, doesn't it? Um, I'll give you an illustration that I heard from another pastor. Remember this section, he's talking about in the context, how we treat other people. He's saying, remember what we were like. We were all once angry, hateful, hurtful, pursuing all these passions and pleasures, and then God saved us because of his mercy. That's the context of this whole section on the gospel. If he did that to us, how should we treat other people? Right? If other people are hateful, if other people are pursuing these, these other things that are totally antithetical to God, how should we treat them? The same way God treated us. Right? And so that's a, this context of the, of the gospel here. But think about this. It's true for non-believers when we interact with them, but it's also true for believers. And even more so, that when we interact with believers, we're interacting with somebody in whom is God. 
Think about think about Mary, right? When Jesus, God in the flesh, was in her womb, you know? It's like, would you get frustrated and stamp your feet and yell at Mary? It's like, I think you would treat her with some reverence if you knew. It's like, well, God, God himself, my creator, is in there. Well, that's true for every believer. Every believer, God, the spirit, the person, real God is indwelling them. So, first, the Spirit is a person. Okay, second, let's look at this second word here. Uh, second little phrase from uh, Titus 3, 6. Whom he poured out on us. Whom he poured out on us. Again, I think this, like we talked about last time, a lot of these things on the Spirit is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Why did he use this word pour out? Why did he say pour out? Well, I think part of it is, He's alluding to the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit was promised. In Joel 2.28, uh, 2, I'm going to read this to you here. Joel 2.28, listen for this phrase, pour, pouring, and, and how it's connected to the Spirit. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, you know, Peter talked about how this was fulfilled at Pentecost. But the pouring out of the Spirit is an Old Testament promise that one day God's Spirit is going to be poured out on men, on women, on servants. That's a pretty amazing, amazing uh, idea that... God didn't just reserve his spirit to be in certain elite believers or certain elite persons, you know. Every Christian, God has promised he'll pour out his spirit onto them. It's quite a remarkable promise because it's God, just like we just talked about. So when he's saying pour, he's bringing people's minds, at least as they read the Old Testament, to see Oh, this is something that's been prophesied for a while. This is something that God has been planning to do. And it's a it's an honor, really. It's it's amazing. And then related to this idea of pouring out this this adjective richly. Verse six still. He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Richly. I'll give you another quote here from Gordon Fee, the same uh, from that same book on the Spirit. It says, "The God who saves us on the basis of His mercy does not scrimp. The very lavish supply of the Spirit is what makes the imperatives in verse eight not only possible but within reach of all who trust in God for their salvation." So he's talking about later on in verse eight, but he's saying that every believer, God is giving you the Spirit. As much as you need today and tomorrow and every day. That's an amazing gift. God is there to empower you. And that's one of the roles of the Spirit is He's not just there with you, so there's somebody with you. That's good news. You're never alone. If you're a Christian, you're never alone. Um, God's 
present everywhere, but God's especially present with the Christian in a special way. That's pretty amazing, really. In the same way that in the Old Testament, God was his spirit was especially present in the temple. We're the temple now. There's no physical temple anymore. That's all been torn down. Um, the new temple is the church, the people of God. And God's spirit really dwells in us. And not just a little bit, richly. You have what you need today. God's with you to empower you, to help you. I'll give you a couple quotes here. This is from Ephesians 1, related to this idea of richly and the empowering power of the Spirit. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. See, there's a lot of things there. There's, you could do a whole sermon just on, on that, obviously, but the Spirit gives so many things there. It gives wisdom, it gives revelation, it gives knowledge of God. It enlightens our heart, the eyes of our heart. Um, and the way that Paul describes it is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and working in you. And for every believer, when just like we talked about last week, regeneration is the Spirit opening our eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Um, not only does the Spirit raise us from the dead, apply justification to, to, to our hearts, um, washes us by the blood of Jesus, but empowers us day to day. 1 John 2 says, The anointing you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he has taught you, abide in him. You know, this connects to what we talked about last week, how the Spirit, when we hear the word sanctification, at least it seems like in evangelical Christianity, we think of the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, becoming more holy. But sanctification actually has two kind of two meanings, really. And the other one we kind of overlook. And there's times in the Bible where it's clearly meaning the other kind of sanctification, which is setting someone apart, setting something apart for a purpose. Like they, And that's what the Spirit's doing. You see that another reason that he uses this language of pour out is the anointing, right? When would they anoint someone in the Old Testament? Well, there's, there's a lot of, actually quite a few different times. They would anoint a king, but they would also anoint the priests. Um, and in a real way, that happens to every believer. God's setting you apart. He's sanctifying you by the Spirit, setting you apart to serve Him. Not only is He setting you apart, saying, "This, I'm going to set you apart to serve me. I'm going to empower you through this. That same anointing is setting you apart, but it's also empowering you. Um, and so, there's some imagery here. There's some Old Testament imagery with the Spirit. But... Uh, we're just going to keep kind of going and, and talking about all this this whole section on the Spirit, although we could we could stop right there probably and just meditate on that. One more thing I want to, uh, well, two, two more things really I want to point out here is in this section, it's kind of separated um, by a clause here, but he goes on to talk about in verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
In this particular section, the spirit isn't like right next to the word heir. But in the other parts of the New Testament, it's very clear that the spirit, part of the work of the spirit is to speak to our hearts that we are children of God. And so I'll give you a couple of verses here. Uh, Romans 8 is pretty clear. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with them that in, in order that we might be glorified with him. One other work of the Spirit is that when we receive the Spirit, we become children of God. It's an amazing thing that not only did God save you from your sins, forgive you, that would have been enough. That's infinite grace, right? That just to be saved. If God saved us and he said, and I'm going to make you my servants, you're never going to be a child like Jesus, but you'll be my servant. That would have been infinite grace. We didn't deserve that, but we got grace upon grace. God not only washed us of our sins, he says, yeah, I'm going to wash you, I'm going to cleanse you, and yes, you are going to be my servant, but more than that, I'm going to adopt you as a son and a daughter. Grace upon grace. And then, (laughs) he could do that and not tell us, and yet, he did more, right? He sent the Spirit to make it real to us. It's like, um, I'm going to send you, I'm going to dwell with you, and I'm going to make it real to you by my Spirit, by myself dwelling in you that this is the reality. Not only that I did it, but that it's real to you. And so, that's one of the things I want to kind of point out is, in terms of the gospel, many of the felt realities come from the Spirit, right? The Spirit applies these things to our heart and makes these, all these things real to us, shows us when our first moment of conversion, the goodness of God. But then, once that's happened, makes real to us what's happened in our life, that we're really new, that we're really changed. Um, we're going to talk about empowers obedience, but... You see, all these experiential things come by means of the Spirit. It's a really big deal. You know, we did actually, not very long ago, a long series on God being our Father. You know, us being children of God. It's a really big deal. Um, it's a wonderful and amazing reality that we want to ha- know experientially, day in and day out, that can change our life just to know, I'm God's child. And all that that entails. Uh, I'll give you some quotes that are really encouraging in, in this regard and challenging too. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought, how would you finish that? If you really want to understand, know what a person thinks of Christianity, how much he makes of the thought, this is what J.I. Packer says, of being God's child and having God as, as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Well, it's kind of a, you know, to make a strong statement, sometimes you overstate it. But it's helpful, right? It's a really big deal that when you wake up in the morning to know, God's my father. I'm really his child. That's huge. Uh, I'll give you one more quote from Thomas Smale. This is seeing that Jesus came and did this first and then applied it to us by the Spirit. We see that the word Father is nothing less than the quintessential concentration of the central conviction out of which Jesus lived and worked. 
If we, if we do not know that Jesus related to God as his Father, we know nothing about him at all. Well, we really have an example in Christ of this living out, day in and day out. God's my Father. And you see him apply this, Jesus, all over the place. You know, we went through the Gospel of John and we looked at all the Father passages, but it's huge. Um, it's so amazing, and uh, kind of repeating myself, although maybe you've forgotten this. So, um, if you remember all these points from, I don't know, a year and a half ago, uh, sorry, <laughs> um, or maybe it's just a good reminder, but in John 14, over and over and over, Jesus takes all these concepts of the Christian life, and he talks about the Spirit, but he always is couching them in terms of a father-son relationship. So think about the gospel in terms of this. The gospel, part of the gospel is becoming an heir. And it really changes how we kind of talk about um, a lot of things and how Jesus talked about the gospel in terms of father-son. So for example, he he doesn't say heaven in John 14. He keeps saying the father's house. Think about that. It's, It's the same idea, but he's tying in the idea of fatherhood there. It changes it, right? It it deepens it. Heaven, where there's no suffering, that's a good thing. But think about this. You're in your father's house. All the the elements of, you know, being sin is done, suffering is done, that's all still there. But yet, there's this intimate relationship with God as father that's tied in there. Jesus, he says he came to show us the father. Jesus' ascension. Jesus called his ascension... He didn't say, I'm going to ascend. He said, I'm going to the Father. That's really how he viewed this. He's like, I'm here on earth, and I'm going to leave. What's that in Jesus' mind? It's going to the Father. He talks about answered prayer in our life. He, Jesus, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to send the helper. Um, the Spirit's going to come. And he says, believers are going to have answered prayer so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He just, over and over, he's just tying all these things into the Father. Think about this. The coming of the Spirit. How does Jesus describe it again? John 4, this is all John 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Think about that. He's, he's tying it all in with the Father. He's tying it all in with us being heirs and children. It's like, Us going to heaven is going to the Father's house. Us receiving the Spirit is Jesus saying, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to give you a comforter to be with you. Uh, You remember in John 14 when, uh, I think it's Philip says, how will you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Remember this? He's he's promising he's going to show himself. Well, you know, I want to get it word perfect here. This is all tying back to what does the Spirit do? Well, it makes it real to us that we're children of God, we're heirs. Um, I'll read this to you. I don't want to get it wrong. This is in John 14, if you want to turn there, but you don't have to. Um, I'll read it to you. Let's see. The question is, where do I want to start? There's so much good stuff here. Uh... Okay, yeah, uh, let's just, let's start in, yeah, 22 sounds good. Uh, 
14.22, Judas, it wasn't Philip, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. He describes this, well, one, how is it that God's going to be real to you? Well, he says, God is going to make his home. Jesus and the Father are going to make their home with you. He's, they're going to abide in you. That's an amazing thing, that God manifests his reality to you through the Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying here, by the indwelling of the Spirit, that we experience, well, one, that we're children of God, but just the reality of God. That's a pretty amazing promise. And then, to tie it all back together, back into Titus, that you, you kind of heard it there in that section, but the last thing is obedience, right? The Spirit empowers obedience. Um, and I don't think it's any... I'll read verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on, th- on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So... He doesn't, that's not directly applied to the Spirit in this particular section. It's kind of all in one, you know, condensed chunk. But very clearly, um, from the Bible, it's very clear that it's all tied here together to the Spirit. The Spirit empowers our obedience. Um, the Spirit, First John says it really well. I'll see if I can, I might have to turn there. Um, but this First John says that, no one born of God, so you see that new, you're, you're made new, um, you're in the family of God, can make a practice of sinning. Why can't we? Why can't we make a practice of sinning if we're Christians? Because God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. We can't keep on sinning. Why? What empowers our obedience? What empowers us to go forward in holiness? The Spirit within us. He won't let us. He's going to strive with us and also empower us to move forward in holiness. And so we see all these things here together. And then the way I kind of want to wrap this up is, how does this apply to our life? I think a lot of us want all these things, right? Like, don't you want to really know when you wake up, like, I am totally loved by God. Like, I'm not just loved, like, I'm his child, and he really loves me. More than my dad loves me, more than my mom loves me, God loves me, and I have this special, intimate relationship with him as a child. The same way as a child would cry, it's like the parent wants to help, wants good for their child. When the child is even disobeying, the parent is filled with love and pity and compassion. Do they discipline? Absolutely. Do they want the children to sin? No, but their love doesn't decrease at all. The parent loves the child because they're the child. And that's the same way God deals with us. We're his child. We're not coming to him on the basis of our goodness, of our performance, of our importance. We're coming to him as this secure relationship that never changes of a child to a father. And knowing, don't you want to wake up knowing that? Like, I'm fully accepted and delighted in by God that he really loves me. He really loves me. That he listens to me when I cry. He listens because I'm his child. Not because I'm saying it right. Not because I'm putting on a performance. He really loves to hear me. Just the same way that a father loves to hear from his child. 
So how do we, we want this, I mean, and we want to obey God. We want to be set apart. But the Bible talks about the Spirit in kind of an interesting way. There's, and you see it in, in how Judas, not Iscariot, asked this question and how Jesus answered it. We kind of want, we want a different kind of answer, right? How is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us, God? How is it we're going to experience your reality? Well, when you get down on your knees and you pray and you read your Bible and you do these three checklist things, then I'm always, every time, going to come and, and I'm going to give you an experience of me. Right? Isn't that how you want? That's how I would want it. It's like, yeah, give me the checklist. <laughs> and Jesus gives a totally different answer. He says, I'm going to be in you. You're going to love me. And you're going to obey me as best you can. And I will do it. And he doesn't give a time. He doesn't say every time. But he's saying this is going to be the experienced reality of the Christian. Period. Not every moment of every day. But God promised to experientially make this real to us. So how does this look? I mean, it's kind of like, well, the idea of pouring out kind of gives us a good illustration, right? Like, it's kind of like rain, okay? We cannot make God pour out his spirit in a special way and experience him. We can't do it. I mean, again, if we, if we were writing the verse, I would like to say, I would want it to say, you play this kind of music at church, uh, you sing this way, you put the lights this way, and 100% of the time you're going to feel me, right? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Yeah, but that's not the way God works. Instead, he says, as you walk with me, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to tell you exactly when. I'm not going to... I'm just asking you to love me, to obey me, and to, and to trust me. And it, like I said, the idea of pouring out, kind of like rain. It's like, you can't make... You can't go outside and, and have God make it rain. You can't say, God, make it rain right now. But you can put yourself in a position to be rained on, Right? And you can have confidence that God will do it, right? Because, well, think about Noah. He promised all the seasons wouldn't stop, right? Like it's going to continue to rain and there's going to be fall and winter and there's still going to be crops. So God is saying like all the normal weather is going to continue on. He's not going to destroy the world by weather or whatever. Um, so we can go outside and we can have confidence that God's going to cause rain to come. But we can't make it happen at any one moment, right? I can't go outside and pray, God, make it rain right this moment. He didn't promise that. It's the same way with the Spirit. 100% for certain, if we place ourselves in the context of this illustration, it's in the trusting, loving, obedient relationship, God will manifest himself to us. We will experience the Spirit. We can't make it happen, but we can put ourselves outside where we can get rained on. And in the case of this illustration, it's obedient, trusting faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? And so what do we do here? We do just what Paul said. We basically just say, this is going to happen. God is going to indwell you. He's going to change you. He's going to empower you. You're going to experience the effects of this. Put yourself. Submit yourself. Trust, trust that he'll do it. It may not happen today. You may not be experiencing this reality in this moment. But put yourself where you can, which is in a trusting, obedient relationship with Jesus. Galatians 5 says this, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's kind of that same idea. It's like, here's what God's done in us. He's changed us. We're, we have new life by the Spirit. 
And we can either walk in step or we can grieve the Spirit. We can get out of step. And if we want this relationship with God, we want to experience Him day to day, the experiential reality of being a child of God, of His empowering work in us, then we have to walk in step. We have to do what He wants us to do. We have to obey. Um, God's not going to empower you. I'll give you an example. If you said today, look, God, you promised to empower me by your spirit, and you are on your way to rob the bank, and you get lost, and you've been down, God, you promised that you would give wisdom to anyone who asks, give me the wisdom to know where this bank that I'm going to rob is. Is God going to answer your prayer there? No, right? And we can do that in little ways in our life, right? Like we can get out of step with the Spirit to where God's not going to empower us. Right? God's not going to empower you to write nasty things on Facebook or whatever. God's going to empower you to love people who write nasty things on Facebook. Right? It's like there's things that God wants you to do. And as you walk in obedience and you place yourself outside and you ask for help and ask for the reality and you're walking in step, God's going to pour out his spirit more and more on you day to day. He has poured it out and he's going to continue to pour it out. Does that make sense? It's really like this upward spiral or this downward spiral. You know, As we place ourselves, as we walk in faith in Jesus, in obedience, we're not guaranteed to have an experience of the Spirit today, but we are guaranteed to have it if we continue to just trust. And just like Jesus said, to him who has, more will be given. And to him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If we get in this spiral of taking ourselves out, to where God can't come and meet us because it would be wrong for him to do that. Um, we're going to go in this downward spiral. On the other hand, if we're trusting Jesus and we're walking in obedience, he's going to pour out his spirit, and that's going to empower us to once again step out and obey him and trust him and be in a loving relationship with him. And, and he's going to pour out his spirit, and he's going to empower us to be in that situation again and again and again. And that's how this works. We're totally dependent on God. We're not in full control like we would want to be. It'd be really nice. I, this is going to show my age, probably. There used to be this, but, like, uh, this button that was on these commercials. I can't even remember the store, but it's like this big red button. You remember these commercials? And it's like you hit the button. I can't remember what some sort of... They wanted you to buy something. But, <laughs> um, but it was just like, if you ever need something, just hit this button. And this button was some store, maybe like Staples or some, some, some sort of office store. It's like we would want that for the spirit, like... If I really, really need you, God, I've got this. I can, in an emergency, I can hit this button and you're guaranteed to come and be there and I can experience you. But that's not actually how it is. It's not any one moment. It's a lifetime of trusting and of having real experiences. How does this work? Well, we trust God. We're forgiven. He fills us by his spirit. And then we continue to trust and obey. And he continues to empower us. But we fail. Right? We don't always do that. We take ourselves out of, of a place where instead of the Spirit empowering us, the Spirit convicts us. And then we go back and we ask for forgiveness and then we trust and obey and we're filled and we keep on going. That's the cycle of the Christian life. We're not perfect. We can always run to Him and trust Him. Um, by grace, He'll pour Himself out to help us to help us experience obedience, empowering, that we're children of God, 
wisdom, uh, all these you know, things that we've talked about here. I'll say it one last way, okay? This is a really a wonderful and amazing thing. You know, sometimes things that are offered for, you know, things that we can have any time, we can lose the wonder and the amazement that this is real, you know? So I'll give you, uh, I wonder how exactly you say this. If, if I gave out cards today that said, free lifetime uh, access to the Kirksville Frisbee Golf Course, you'd be like, wow, I can go anytime, and it's, to- and it's totally free, you know? It's like, would you go and do it? You know, it's like, I, I think... I think I would. <laughs> Maybe that shows something about me. But it's like, it's already free, right? You can go to the Rotary Park anytime, and it's already there. Um, and you just kind of take it for granted. You know, but think about this. If, I, if we literally, we don't have the power. Like, we, we talked about how uh, Tetzel was giving out all these things if people gave money. We do not, I do not have the power to do this. Um, but if I had cards that said, you can become a child of God, and he will hear you anytime. In fact, he'll always be with you. Like, here's his card. That would be unreal, right? Like, isn't that an amazing, wonderful thing? Like, the act, becoming a child of God, being able to pray anytime you want? Well, you already have that, right? Like, if you're a Christian, you, and if you're not a Christian, this is available to you. Run to, run to him. Trust Jesus. We wash of your sin. Become a child of God. But it's almost like because it's free, because it's open to us at any moment, we can lose the wonder and the joy and the amazing access that we have and intimacy with God. You have God with you. You have a phone line anytime. You could pick up and, and talk to the one who runs the world, God. Not only that, he's going to empower you to do that, right? Think about Romans 8, the Spirit, it says, when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit intercedes for us. It's like, we've got God on both ends. We're talking to God, and then God's inside us helping us talk to God. It's a wonderful and amazing thing, and and I guess I just, as we talk about all these things, my prayer would be that it becomes real to you again and fresh. It's like, wow, I have been taking this for granted. God in me, access to God, a child of God, those are all real and wonderful. And so, something to worship Something to ask God again. God, I want, I want to experience this. I want to know that you love me and that I'm your child. Uh, help me. So let's, let's pray together. Father, uh, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful, Jesus, that you came to die. And we're thankful that you sent your spirit to live in us. We're thankful, spirit, that you strive with us and dwell with us. We're sinners, and yet you still... You're still here, and we're thankful for that. Thank you for you. Thank you for adopting us, and not just forgiving us, but adopting us as children. And I just do pray, would you help us to walk in obedience? Would you empower us? Uh, Tomorrow as we wake up, would you just lay it on our hearts, or even today as we leave, just lay it on our hearts that we're your children, and you really love and delight in us. You really are with us. You really are caring for us deeply from your heart. You love us and you delight in us. 
pray you'd make that real. Um, if there's anybody here who really uh, um, is struggling with that, Lord, I pray just um, you just really make it real to them by your spirit that you love them, you forgave them, and you really delight in them. Would you empower us this week as we go out just to do all that you want us to do, whatever uh, it is that you'd have us to do. I pray you guide us by your spirit and help us, empower us, give us strength to love uh, every day, every person that we meet, um, to love you. I pray that we uh, would, just as we think about these things, uh, that would lead us to worship you and to be in awe of what you've done for us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for forgiveness of sins, for adoption, for indwelling the Spirit, for new life, and for eternal life. Um, thank, thank you that we're going to go to the Father and um, we just lift all this up to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.